Welcome back to OMG Omics. I know we've had a little bit of a break um, as some of the major mass spectrometry events of the year have now passed with ASMS. So I'm pleased that you're still here with us. And today we're going to speak with Nicola Turnett on immunopeptidomics. Hi, Nicola. I'm so excited to welcome you as a podcast guest um, and to introduce you to our audience. As so many of our guests have shown, um, a complex and diverse career of curiosity in science helps to make someone successful and push them to the next level. Can you start by telling us your story and how you got to your current position? Yes, of course. Um, and thank you very much for inviting me to, to tell you all about my research today. So, um, so how did I get into um, immunopeptidomics? Well, I, I started to study um, in Germany, so I wanted to study um, science. That was clear to me. So I wasn't quite clear in what direction I wanted to go. So I studied both uh, physics and biochemistry and ultimately at three different universities in Germany. So I was in Bonn, then in, later in Greifswald and um, then came to Bochum, where I decided to do my master's and also my PhD in biochemistry. Uh, and I decided, um, and I, during the course of studies, I, I really got um, interested into virology and how viruses kind of manipulate the cell um, to escape the immune system. And so uh, I started working with respiratory syncytial virus, and we were interested to develop a vaccine um, against this virus. And so to give a bit, bit of background on, on that, so at the time, vaccines were generally really made um, by taking or growing virus on cells in the laboratory and then inactivating that virus and then giving these inactivated protein uh, lysates um, to the vaccinee so that the vaccinee can then see how the virus looks like, make an immune response, and then hopefully be protected once the virus, um, the real virus arrives. And um, so for respiratory syncytial virus, that approach did not work. So it failed, um, and unfortunately, it also led um, um, to, to um, the death of, of two young children. And therefore, it was really important, because the viral infection is, is dangerous for young children specifically, it's really important to get um, new vaccines to help prevent uh, these infections. And so our approach then, um, in, and, and what I pursued during my PhD, a master's and PhD, was to use the surface um, proteins of the virus that are most important for an initial immune response and try and put them into safe and efficacious um, delivery systems so that we could show um, the vaccinees what the virus looks like and then um, so that, that the vaccine ultimately can make this immune response um, without any um, side effects. And um, that's what we did. So, and we were not the only ones doing that actually at the time. So the, there were many people trying to kind of create these safe vaccines. But what my research ultimately showed is that you cannot just take the genes of the, of the virus. It's an RNA virus that, that has evolved in the cytoplasm. So only in a specific area in the human cell. You cannot take that and just put it into the vectors we thought were suitable because these, these kind of delivery systems use part of the nucleus, another compartment of the cell. And, and there's too much interference between those two compartments that then would not lead to this 
this production of the viral surface that we were aiming for. And we showed why this wasn't working. And also did we show um, how to alter the genes so that they can give you know, a, um, a proper production of these viral surface proteins. So this is this is the story how I got very interested in in, in the immune system and particularly vaccine development. And we um, it, it kind of concluded in this uh, in this quest to to try and design vaccines more accurately. So we we were taking the the viral surface molecules because yes they're exposed first. So if a virus infects the body, of course. Um, and, and is, is, is circulating in the blood, this is what the immune system can immediately see. But what is also very important is, is once the virus then infects cells and gets into the cell, how does the immune system see that infected cell? And that uh, ultimately brought me to Oxford, where I'm currently um, working on, on um, antigen discovery and vaccine development. And we, over the first few years in this position, I, I did learn... Um, or what I did, what I did set up is how we can accurately profile the virally infected cells first of all, and then understand how can we inform the vaccine development, you know, using this information. And so uh, this is what I'm still working on. Ultimately, uh, when I so when I finalized my PhD, um, I really wanted to learn more about vaccinology and more about how can we actually profile proteins. So I had done this in very classical um, ways in, in my laboratory, in the laboratory that I was trained in, in Germany. And so um, I, I wanted to kind of go abroad first, or also learn learn the language um, a bit better that I knew my, my future life would be dominated by um, in science. So, And uh, I decided to move to the UK and, and to Oxford, where um, I joined the, labor the laboratory of uh, Benedict Kessler. So um, he's um, running a large proteomics facility in the Target Discovery Institute here. And I, um, for the first time, got exposed to, to mass spectrometry. And uh, at the time, that was a, a Bruker HCT ion trap. Uh, this was um, a quite small instrument, benchtop instrument, uh, and I was really scared for the first time when I was using that machine. And it was incredible because what I learned at the first the first time here is that you can see so much in the sample. And um, what I've done previously was quite limited. So uh, what we do in a classical way is we take protein extracts from the cell and then we try and separate them through kind of a pore matrix that 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 separates uh, separates them by size and then we go in with kind of antibodies that we know recognize specific proteins and we have uh, ways to then visualize that signal but it is very it's very limited in the way in how much you can see you can see whether a protein is present or absent but then the mass spectrometry suddenly opens a whole world of protein analysis tools that i hadn't known um to date. And suddenly you could take a slice, even just a slice of this matrix and, and analyze that by mass spectrometry and you would have 100 proteins identified in the sample and you would know you could compare that very easily between an infected cell and non-infected cell and then understand um, the changes that are occurring during infection. So I worked um, on that um, for, for quite a while actually uh, and 
worked here closely with collaborators specifically on human immunodeficiency virus, so HIV. And uh, we have, we have uh, in, in Oxford, there's a fantastic environment for HIV research. So I worked with Thomas Hanke, who, um, who has a large lab at the Jenner Institute to develop HIV, uh, conserved HIV vaccines. Uh, we have long-standing T-cell experts um, and HLA um, experts here, uh, Andrew McMichael, Seth Burrow, Lucy Dorrell, who I collaborated with over the years to, to then understand how does the HIV infected cell look like to the immune system? And we wanted to use that information to, um, to really inform vaccine development and also understand basic immunology questions. So yeah, that's uh, how I got into, into my field and my current position. I, I, developed a, um, I developed a system to really profile cells and specifically those molecules that are seen by the immune system using mass spectrometry. And um, about uh, seven, eight years ago, I did uh, span out my own group with this particular expertise. And we are, um, we are now really interested in um, profiling immune, um, immune, um, immune relevant molecules in many different diseases. And most importantly, we have moved that capacity over to cancer. That's our current our current quest over the last five years or so. We are very interested in profiling how cancer cells look like with the same aim of trying to understand whether we can directly inform vaccine development using the information that we get on these immune um, profiles. So, Nicola, something that I usually ask guests is something about their OMG moment. Um, I'm wondering if we can pitch that a little bit differently to you. And when was your OMG moment that you realized all of the knowledge that you have around the immune system and, and around the systems that you're studying and that you could port it over to something new like cancer? Um, do, you, do you have anything that you could, you could tell us a little bit more about there? Yes, I think uh, so. When I started this work, it was really from um, the, you know, the basic research perspective. We want to understand more how does the virus look like on, on the surface of the cell visible to the immune system and uh, what does the virus do to alter that as well? And what, what are the ways of interference of the virus with the cell to evade the immune system? And um, I looked at it in a very mechanistic way and not necessarily with that direct translation. So my lab also does not do the, the vaccine development. So we, we, are, we are really interested in, in profiling the specific antigens. What I realized over, um, over the years is that this information is so powerful to know what the immune system can directly see on the diseased cell. And that is not only the infected cell, but then can be a cancer cell, that, um, that we can immediately use this information to, to, to direct it into the clinic. And that realization for me was maybe not a moment, but was a period of time when we started to see specific molecules come up in clinical trials and development in industry. And also we're working quite closely with industry now uh, that, that target a specific molecule on the um, cell surface. And that um, has been approached mostly in cancer. And so we thought, well, you know, we can profile cancer cells and we can directly 
see those molecules and we can we can give industry we can give those those entities that are developing the clinical uh, the clinical therapies we can give those entities the exact information of what to target on a tumor cell and 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 and, and that realization then kind of ended up in, in 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 a lot of industry collaborations where we are now trying to solve some of those questions together with partners that then have the capacity to to run clinical trials and to move these molecules into the clinic for patient benefit. And that is, for me, I think the most important aspect of our work now. It wasn't in the beginning. And I'm, I'm personally really excited about being able to contribute so much to the development of next generation cancer therapy. That's really exciting. And, and I think I've learned more from, from you and from doing the podcast series um, about some of these, these various areas of research. Um, another kind of common question that I like to ask guests is, do you see this work that you're now partnering with industry and in, being able to move to a more automated fashion? Um, is person power going to be enough to push this? What technology do you need next? That's a really important question, I think, and we've been thinking quite a lot about it, uh, particularly because we're in an academic environment. So, um, what what has to what has what we need is is really um, kind of movement from a diff- from many different sides. So, we are very interested in automating some of the processes, and that is not only because the recent technologies have enabled us to work with much smaller sample size. I haven't mentioned that yet. I mean, it sounds great that we can profile all these cells, uh, infected cells and cancer cells, but we need a lot of material for that because we're, we're purifying a subsection of the cells, only those bits that are recognized by the immune system. And um, we need to start off with a lot of material in order to see, to have to, to gather enough molecules to then measure efficiently. But recent technology has has enabled us to work with much smaller sample size. And this is now, um, for us, really exciting because we can start looking at much wider patient cohorts. Cancers, particularly cancers, are really personal diseases and cancer cells evolve within the context of each individual's immune system and they evade it in different ways. And so if we want to find common anchor points for therapy and not necessarily concentrate on personalized um, approaches in cancer, we need to analyze broader sample cohorts, which means we have to we have to start automizing the process. And that is now kind of also coming up uh, more and more in the field that these approaches are um, being automized and to, to allow high throughput analysis. And this is now the, the big challenge, I think, now over the next years, because we have quite complex biochemical purification protocols that we now have to think about how we can automize them and how can we make them high throughput. But it is possible now, and we are um, we are we are doing it now. And um, it 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 it's really important, I think, particularly to address the the cancer antigen landscape. I mean, one one important point maybe in the context of automization is also that I think that a lot of um, development on optimizing kind of the the way we acquire the samples is still needed because the immune landscapes are quite different as well from person to person. So the nature of the peptides and and their their chemical properties are quite unique for each individual. And so we want to kind of... Um, adjust these these technologies as well to optimally kind of 
um, sequence um, sequence those molecule lands, uh, landscapes in each individual. And it's not able. We are not able yet to do this fully automated. So um, there is there, there there there's challenges on the way, but automation is is a very important point um, for the future of immunopeptidomics. I think you've made a lot of success out of viewing your field differently by bringing in mass spectrometry into areas where they weren't necessary, where it wasn't necessarily used to um, answer questions. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how your work incorporates validation in order to convince the broader mass spectrometry community community that your workflows have value. Yes, and that is that is an incredibly important point, and and actually something that um, we're really trying to highlight in the community as well. So validation is important, and. So the way, maybe I start a little bit with explaining how the how mass spectrometry really works, because we what we are trying to do with the mass spectrometer is we are looking at these molecules and we are separating them on a chromatography and then we are uh, trying to get information on them. And these, this information is mostly the mass, <laughs> but it's also um, drift times and fragments of those molecules. So we are gathering lots of different informations on each of these different molecules. And then the important bit is that we infer the sequence. So the sequence, it's not like we are generally sequencing, for example, nucleic acids. Um, There is is an element of um, inferring information, sequence information, and that element can be enhanced um, by looking at what we are actually expecting in the sample. So in a way, we have a slight dependency in the mass spectrometry on seeing molecules that we know the sequence of because and that we can accurately do so if if we're just looking at the proteome and for example also the the viral the viral proteins we can accurately map which peptides are there so in cancer that is a bit more problematic because as i said earlier cancer is a very um it's a very diverse disease and and many mechanisms are not very well controlled so we we are ending up with a lot of um aberrant um, molecules that we not necessarily know exactly the nature of. So what I think we need to do there is be a little bit more lenient in analyzing these samples, try and understand, okay, this this is the peptide that could be there. We we are not exactly sure because we can't map these, you know, these, this specific area of the molecule just exactly, but then the validation comes in as a very important factor. So, and the validation is um, something that we are very interested in, and that's necessary because we we are trying to do a lot of this mass spectrometry that that looks at um, things that we don't know. So we call that de novo sequencing. It's basically assigning um, a priori uh, a sequence to the spectrum without any other information. And these peptides, we we or these ident- these data, we have to carefully validate because we know that. A large proportion of that we will not have done correctly, and so the way we do that is um, is that we firstly, and that's a very very classical chemical way to validate what you're doing, is we synthesize the peptide that we think we have sequenced in the sample, and we run it through the same mass spectrometer with the same um, conditions, and if the spectrum looks identical or almost identical, we can be very sure that we've measured this molecule and not another one. 
So that sounds simple. It's not quite as simple. And there's a broad range of opinions out in the field in, in how accurate that really is. Um, but then we, we of, of course, have other arms of validation. So we look at how the immune system recognizes this molecule and whether we can see that, um, that patients, that, um, that, that tumor patients can react to this molecule either by having predefined memories, memory in the immune system or even whether the, the repertoire, the, the immune system that is, that is in a healthy individual can recognize this peptide. All of these kind of points give us information on um, the, 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 the correct nature of this antigen. And then finally, we can go and we can accurately, with the, synthet the synthetic version of the molecule, we can go in to um, a large number of tumor samples and, and try and see whether we can find this exactly, exact molecule there. And we can really um, compare the, the complex behavior in the chromatography, in, in, um, in an iron mobility drift cell, like in, in, in the Timstoff, um, how, you know, whether everything acts identically. And, and ultimately then we have proof that we are looking at the correct molecule. So we're using a combined um, panel of validations, um, both from the immune system side and the mass spectrometry side to then validate our findings. So let's also go back to the topic of vaccines. Um, you're not our first guest that that has had some type of research that centers around this. And, and of course, this makes us think of the pandemic. And how did that influence any aspect of your research, for better or for worse, um, and how do you see the field changing with regards to vaccine research? Yes, that's a very interesting question. I think um, that what the pandemic has showed us is, again, and not for the first time, <laughs> that vaccines can have an incredible impact um, on disease and that they work. And, and of course, now with basically a vaccine um, strategy that involves almost all of the, the global population, I mean, billions of people have been vaccinated, we can see how safe the vaccination really is. And the, the vectors used in, in the pandemic are also very relevant for the translation into tumor vaccines. So I think we have, you know, one, the perspective of safety is very largely addressed and, and couldn't be, couldn't be addressed um, broader. Um, and, and I think that hopefully also it has changed our, our view on the functionality of vaccines, not only, not only from the science perspective, but, but from, from, um, from, yeah, the global population's perspective that people can see, you know, this is working, this is protecting us. Uh, from from the infection, and over the next few years, I think we will really see because we have many vaccines um, now uh, in clinical trials for cancer, and we will hopefully start to see kind of the impact that vaccines can make in cancer as well. And also, I think from a regulatory point of view, um, we we see that you know there is there is the vaccines are being moved into the clinic, and it's 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 straightforward. The routes are being made more straightforward to achieve to achieve uh, having a clinical application using vaccines um, uh, yeah and putting these in place and into patients which which is I think very welcome and and a wonderful development that we can now think okay well if we have the right antigens and we are we're packaging these up into vaccines we can be in the clinic 
no, not in 10 years like we used to think, but but in, in, in two, three years if, if the funding is there. So it, it, it brings broad opportunity, in my view. So that timeline is interesting. Um, if you think that we can make that much progress in the next two to three years, what do you see in 10 to 15 years? How big can you dream? What do you think that could really be the next frontier in immunopeptidomics? So I, I I'm, I'm, an op, I'm, I'm very optimistic <laughs> in terms of the, the future. And I think that in 10 years time, we will we will have evidence that immunopeptidomics and mass spectrometry have made a major difference in the development of next generation immunotherapies in cancer specifically. Uh, that is what, what the field is concentrating on at the moment. And I think the progress will be enormous. There are, there are many um, novel companies that are looking into this. There are exciting developments out there. We've learned so much uh, in the past few years only that I can only think we will have the clinical evidence because we have uh, ongoing studies that are based on um, mass spectrometry results and so i'm i'm very optimistic that we have evidence um, of that of that power in 10 years i believe that we will continue to find good target targetable antigens using mass spectrometry over time and that is um, due to the limitations that we have spoken a little bit about uh, before that that we we have to work on those on these non-biased approaches where we're trying to see every single molecule um, ir irrespective of whether it has a modification or whether it's from a non-canonical event, how we call these aberrant events in cancer. We need to make progress there. And I think this progress will be a little slower, but we are already as well discussing that a lot um, in, in the wider community in the HUPO-HIP consortium, where we are um, working closely as well with um, the ribose community, for example, and annotation engines as well, to, to try and get this knowledge, this what are these proteins that can be produced um, in cancers? What are they and how can we better annotate them? So this will be very exciting discussions, I think, going forward. I think um, there is a lot to learn that we don't know yet, but, but we will see the clinical evidence, I think, very soon because there's very good canonical targets, shared targets that we can see in cancers that can be clinically addressed now and we don't have to wait for all of that development to happen. Yeah, so I think in, in, in terms of the next 10 and 15 years, this will be exciting. And nevertheless, you know, we're not at the end and we need to, we need to understand more, you know, what is happening. We have to discover what are the mechanisms leading to these, uh, these presentations. Because the way that I see it is that, you know, every project comes with, with, um, with with two you know from two approaches you can approach it the clinical way and and here you really need to know what ends up visible to the immune system you don't need to know all the mechanisms if you can prove that this antigen how, how we call it is is present in many patients you can and and it's absent in everywhere else in the body so you it, it's not necessary to know the mechanism if you know the molecule is there however from a science perspective, of course, you want to know why the molecule is there. And that might also give rise to additional anchor points where, where therapies could work. And, um, and, and the, the second arm is, going, is more complex and is, is, is more difficult. And, so, and that requires um, more, um, more detailed research to then to really understand you know, why, are, why are these antigens produced? How do they end up in the immune system? 
Why have they not been recognized um, efficiently before? What are the mechanisms of the tumor to e evade the immune system? So there's a lot to do. You know, we, we know in principle so little, but I think from, from that clinical targeting perspective, we will, we will see a lot of progress over the next 10 years and hopefully in all the other fields as well. But um, yeah, we will not be at the end of it. As you started to expand your collaborations into industry and with some clinical partners, um, as you want to do more with the, the research that you have going on, is there anything that's popped up that surprised you about how any of these processes work? Um, things that you've become curious about that maybe weren't on your radar to start with? Absolutely. <laughs> and that, that is uh, I, I, one of the reasons why I am in science. I mean, I love the, the freedom. And um, and I, I, uh, I we come across these things all the time, and then it's wonderful to be able to say, okay, well, let's have a look and, and <laughs> what that is and and um, what it does to the cell. I mean, we are we have started to be, and that's maybe because I started with the virology background. We first started to look at virally driven cancers, and. Um, in in uh, so cervical cancer, for example, is driven exclusive, almost exclusively by by a human papillomavirus infection, and um, the mechanism here is that the virus is quite a small virus, but it, it integrates the genome in um, rarely, but it happens in into the genome of the the, the cell, and in the in the cancer in the cancer cells, what we find is that we get um, not only uh, not, we get these non-canonical cryptic events that are happening, but we can also see that from that viral um, integrated genome, we can get transcripts that are spanning the um, through to the human um, genome. And it, it's basically, you can see the integration site on these transcripts. And you can also, what you get is basically protein products that arise from a, an area in the human genome that is normally not uh, not transcribed and not leads to protein production, which then can make the tumor immunogenic because because the immune system doesn't know these fragments, and and uh, I think these findings are, are one example of what we what we weren't expecting. We we it took us a long time to find out what was going on, and it's it's hugely exciting to see that to see that how uh, how even even molecules derived from the human genome can only occur in a virally driven cancer. And, and I think this, um, yeah, this is one, one example where we're really excited about, about these findings and we are trying to understand more broadly and how often that happens and how immune relevant that is in uh, cervical tumor patients. You shared so much of your professional life with us today. Um, I do wonder if you have any comments or perspectives on your personal life and how you've blended success with your day job of being a fantastic researcher. So there are challenges. Um, I, I won't lie. Uh, this is it is it isn't easy to be an academic researcher, and um, there's a lot of responsibilities that come with that, and timelines, deadlines that have to be kept, no matter what the personal circumstances are. And I have to say that without my fabulous team, I would uh, I would have not been able to manage all of these challenges. And they are obviously now also the ones that are doing all the work in the lab. And so a massive thanks to them for their continuous support. And um, of course, also, I have a personal life. You know, I'm not only I'm not only always at work and I have um, a family to thank massively as well for their support over the years. 
Well, thank you so much for being with us today and, and sharing across the diversity of your experiences. Um, as another woman in science, it's always wonderful to see the success that you've had. Um, and, and I also really just appreciate how, you, how you've shared the aspects of your personal life here too. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was a pleasure to speak to you today. I hope you've enjoyed this month's episode. I think Nicola has been a fantastic storyteller and has educated me as well. I hope you feel the same way and that you'll join us again next month.